of our deep dive into the spider wars and we've uh i mean right before you is a table we've set that table mm. i'm talking I'm talking tablecloth i'm talking cutlery and dishware and a centerpiece and that centerpiece is of course mr bob preston he's always the centerpiece yes, uh, of every episode of marvel versus marvel but we took a look um at the <clears throat> the clone saga ben riley the scarlet spider um, we set the uh, set the table in that respect. We took a look at just how exactly we got to this point in the uh, animated uh, animated Spider Man adventures. It's the end of this long running cartoon series mm. that was the longest running Marvel show for many, 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 many years, decades, in fact. And we um, we saw how is this the inspiration for the Spider Verse? Or is it the rip off? Where do you what do you think right now before we go in, Will? Ah, <laughs> uh, I don't know. It's it because there's the whole not really sort of thing, and it's like maybe he didn't know, maybe he did. I I can't decide at this point. I think it's inspiration when it's acknowledged. When it's not acknowledged, it's ripping off. Yeah, that's how I fall on things. Um, we heard from people that matter. We uh, listened to the wonderful comments from everybody. We plugged uh, plugged the incredible Patreon that we got going on. Speaking of which, major shout out to the world class wrecking crew. Yeah, Peter J, Brandon Schmagilski, Randall Schmidt, Zach Thomas, Basta Beer, Sam, Bindi, Supi, Jack Davis, Billy Brown, Zubair Q. I love how long that list is. <laughs> they are the crew that keep it all together. They dig deep so that we don't have to have adverts on this show. Intrusive adverts saying, do you want stronger erections? <laughs> no, I want to listen to Spider-Man stories. Do you want spawn- stronger Spider-Man erections? Well, I'm on, I'm, on, I'm on the fence. Um, those are the people that matter. Keeping erection adverts out of your ears. Uh, <laughs> what an image! What an image! <laughs> and uh, we've really put everything in place. We looked at the world of 1998, where Will Preston was 11 and Big Daddy H was uh, 15 years old. When he was 15, he <laughs> had some very good action figures. <laughs> Oh, I had the best action figures at season 15. Hadn't kissed a girl yet, but had some amazing action figures. <laughs> <laughs> is my math right on that? I don't think it is. I think I'd probably done... Uh, you know what? By 15, I don't want to brag, but I'd done both. I had great action figures, and I think I'd kissed a girl. Boom! Yes! What a year. Good what man. a year that was. Good man. Um, it's time then now for the deep dive into the uh, the final two episodes of the Spider-Man animated series... Uh, the Spider Wars episodes. Um, we need to start with a recap. Yep. So oh. we'll take it away. So just to recap, Spider-Man was summoned to another dimension by the powerful cosmic being, Madam Web, and the Beyonder. He was selected to lead a team of heroes in a battle to see whether good can truly triumph over evil. Spider-Man brings powerful allies with him. Captain America, Iron Man, the Fantastic Four, and... Storm. Together they battle against villains Dr. Octopus, the Spider Slayer, the Lizard, the Red Skull, and Dr. Doom. 
After several battles, Doctor Doom steals the om omnipotent powers of the Beyonder, and only Spider-Man is able to defeat him. Right, that brings us to Chapter 1 of the Spider-Wars. I really, really hate clones. I love that like we went into this with this idea that John Semper Jr., the creative mastermind behind all this, kind of says outright, I didn't want those Marvel writers anywhere near this series because I read the Clone Saga and hated it. <laughs> and now at this stage, he's like, right. Right. I really, really hate Clones with the title of this issue. Wow, he's, he's, he's really wearing on his sleeve. And uh, before we get into the episode, before we start the story, Rob, it's just take take a little time out to really appreciate the incredible intro to the show. Oh. Just, just <laughs> sense... We're not going to sing the whole thing, but it's so good to every time I've watched it. Because I watched, I after we covered this the previous time, I went through the previous time we recovered the um the Spider Man cartoon. I, I went through and watched the whole bloody thing, and I loved it. Mm. I absolutely loved it, and I loved uh, the every every time the theme tune came on, I was like, "This is awesome." But it's not only that; it's not like you know, you know, when it comes, he's swinging, it's all cool. But it's the whole bit where it starts getting into the guitar solo uh, for <gasps> Steve. Pe is it Joe, Pam Joe, Joe Perry from Aerosmith? But the, oh. but then you get this really fast montage of all these characters almost blinking yes. in your mismo. You get the Punisher yeah. firing a rocket launcher, and they're going, "Oh my god, this is cool! This is actually really yeah, cool." Yeah, you're right. That montage of like loads of badass action things and wonderful characters happening along with the guitar going it's just so awesome just, isn't it i think mm. and I, I don't know if we said this last time i'm not sure maybe we had a debate about it i think the spider-man animated series title sequence and theme song mm. is better than the x-men one. Oh, i i i'd agree I'd agree. Really great. Maybe we agreed last time. I do think it's better. Yeah, I, I think I think because I you know I've gone through Spider Man again, and it's like if I rewatch the X Men cartoon, if I'm in the mood, I'll listen. But if not, I'll I'll skip by. Find myself same. Yeah, I watch it the first time, maybe not the second time. I'm watching this title sequence every time. Uh, 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 to, uh, to go off a, a little a little way, how how does it compare to Batman the animated series title? That still gives me goosebumps. Uh, I'm only watching it the first time. Oh, okay. If I'm doing a, as we just said, if we're doing a binge, oh, okay, episode after episode, I'm only watching it the first time, That's like X Men. If I'm watching Spider Man, I'm watching that Spider Man yeah, title yeah, sequence I, every time. No, you're right. Like the, you're the, right. the song is just a bit more fun. It's a bit. It's almost like a, it's not quite a jingle. It you know, feels. It's, it's, it feels less like know. a theme tune, more like an actual song. Is what you're trying to say? Because it has a guitar solo. I don't. I. I, I, I wonder whether it's different. Like the the. the it gets the, the adrenaline spider, going. The, the Batman one is a full beginning, middle, and end title Sword sequence story. and kind of a story, and, yeah. and it's kind of like the, the music works like that. This is almost like it's re-listable because it's almost like the chorus of a song. <laughs> there it is. There it's like it just is. the best bit. It's, it's the just, juicy, yeah. juicy wedge in the middle. That's what I want. Yeah, there we go. So let's get on with the episode. Following the events of Secret Wars, Spider-Man is sent by the Beyonder back to Earth but Spidey is shocked to see New York City in ruins, with Queens completely destroyed. Spider-Man mourns the loss of Aunt May. The next second, the Beyonder appears and tells Spider-Man that his Aunt May no longer exists in this world. Pressing the powerful being for answers about who is behind the devastation, the Beyonder replies, You are. 
What do we think about the Beyonder and his appearance? Um, he's uh, he's <laughs> odd. I'm trying to trying to uh, remember him now. He has like long black hair. He's got long black hair. He's got a dark black goatee, and then he's got this shining silver armor with yes. kind of these really. They're almost like shoulder pads, but they're spiky shoulder pads and stuff. Yes, it's looking up. Oh, it's a look. Yeah. Also, uh, he was voiced by Earl Bowen, who uh, you may, people will recognise as Doctor Peter Silverman from the Terminator films. Who's Doctor Peter Silverman? The one she met. She uh, the, the, the psychiatrist, Sarah Connor's psychiatrist. Oh, awesome! Yeah, I love that guy. Yeah, great character from the Terminator. Also, if you're a big fan of point-and-click games. He voiced ghost pirate LeChuck in the Monkey Island games. Very good voice course, actor course, who yeah. uh, sadly yeah. passed earlier this year at the age of 81. I, I was about to wear my um, ghost pirate LeChuck t-shirt today, but it was in, in the wash. That is that is the best sarcasm you've ever done because for a minute there I was like, is he sarcastic? I can't tell. Ghost pirate LeChuck. Oh man, Monkey Island's great. That's, but we're not going to go into that. So it's uh, great to go back to this obviously spider-man but still always a shock to see new york in ruins even worse than days of future past this is properly bad yeah this is like there's no there's not like a camp there's, not, there's no camp of humans no. it's just dead people and we don't see any bodies obviously but the the burning wreckage kind of lets you know what's going it on it looks like way past the aftermath yeah an explosion rings out Followed by the Green Goblin and Hobgoblin flying past. Spider-Man catches sight of them and assumes they are the ones behind New York's uh, destruction. However, he's not the only one with a theory. In the ruins of the Daily Bugle building, J. Jonah Jameson broadcasts on the airwaves in search of any survivors, as well as his belief that Spider-Man is responsible for this destruction. (laughs) Yeah, of course. Of course. Green Goblin and Hobgoblin burst through the office walls and restrain him with his assistant, Robbie Robertson, telling the newspaper editor that their master wants to know the location of the microwave broadcaster. After threatening to drop Robbie out the side of the building, Jameson relents and agrees to tell them, but drops Robbie out the window anyway. Tumble, uh, tumbling many stories. I know. Who drops him out the window anyway? Yeah, what a prick. Uh, tumbling many stories to the streets below. Robbie is saved at the last minute by Spider-Man swinging in. We've mentioned uh, him already. Uh, Mark Hamill as a villain here, doing his best work when he voices a bad guy like the Joker in uh, in, in Batman. God, I, I, it's it's great because I think of him more as the Joker from Batman than I do as Luke Skywalker. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, well, what do you want me to say? Okay, I was like, yeah, I, okay, well, I, I, I thought you could go. Yeah. yeah, I'm on the same page, but with all, you know, because no, I haven't watched Star Wars no. in a while. I, I thought, no, he's Luke Skywalker, isn't he? Look at him. <laughs> don't, be, don't be daft. Don't, don't be daft. daft. He's, he's done so much good voice acting in many uh, video games and uh, cartoons that I've watched. Uh, God, he's an absolute treasure. He oh. might have been playing the Green Goblin had things gone differently. Oh, we're about to get onto that, be- are we? Well, Mm. what I can remember, John Semper Jr. Mm. had no interest in using the Hobgoblin instead of the Green Goblin, which is what they did in those first two or three seasons. Mm. But there was a guy who was had his job before him and got fired. Yeah, he there was one mandate left behind from that person for some or that previous administration in charge of this cartoon, and that was we do the Hobgoblin instead of the Green Goblin. And apparently, that was like they couldn't break that, and so <laughs> they just had to go with Hobgoblin to the Green Goblin. And then, so Mark Hamill might have been playing Norman Osborn, but they mm. they 
had this weird rule of no, you can't, and there doesn't seem to be anything, any kind of reason behind it that I, I can find anywhere. So mad, mad. Yeah. So back to the hobgoblin. Um, this this is the first time we've seen him on this podcast. Uh, I just assume I always assumed that it was just. Uh, the next version of the Green Goblin or Norman Osborn's son, Harry, taking over as a Green Goblin. Like, who is he? How, what makes him different from the Green Goblin? Okay, so the, the Hobgoblin is introduced in the 1980s, about 20 years after the Green Goblin is first um, created. Um, and it was kind of put together by a writer, Roger Stern, and the artist John Romita Jr. Mm. Um, and like other writers that had come before and after, uh, Roger Stern found himself under a lot of pressure to have Spider-Man fight the Green Goblin again because that's... You put that on the front cover, that's something people know and recognise. Mm. Green Goblin is a popular character. It's like the pressure to have Batman fight the Joker all the time. Yeah. Right? yeah. It's very debilitating for a writer. Um, but he didn't want to bring Norman Osborn back. I, I think Norman Osborn, yeah, was dead. So... He just had to try and find a way around it. And what he did is create kind of like a new concept, a new, like, heir to the goblin legacy mm. and develop the, the, the hobgoblin. Um, and it's a very distinctive, great look. I think it's a much better look. Um, yeah. The hobgoblin has a much better... And Roger Stone has described it when he when he did the, the design as being make it a little more medieval looking. What with the hood? Um, He's got a hood, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah, rather than a little hat, a little <laughs> hat that Norman has. The hobgoblin hat, I always look at that and go... The Green that, Goblin Yeah, hat. sorry, sorry, the Green Goblin hat. I always look at that and go, no, don't, why? Don't forget, as we discussed when we looked at the Green Goblin, originally he was meant to be an actual goblin. <laughs> an actual <laughs> green, magical now. goblin yeah. flying on a broomstick. <laughs> um, and it was only... Because... Um, Marvel Universe didn't really exist. It was just just coming together. Yeah. It was only Steve Ditko that stepped in and went, "No, <laughs> that's a guy in a costume. I'm, I'm He's sorry, going to be which, a villain. Which is more stupid, uh, a, a, a goblin or a man dressed as a goblin? <laughs> yeah, it's a tough one, isn't it? It's a tough one. Um, so, in the 1980s, a mysterious new villain who's clearly aping the long dead Green Goblin uh, shows up using all of the classic weaponry, the Goblin Glider and the Pumpkin Bombs. And just like the original Goblin, his identity is a long running mystery in the Spider Man comics during the 80s. Um, it is eventually revealed to be, and this, we can go back and forth on this, and I hope we do a full Hobgoblin episode one day because oh, I love this character. Babes, you know we will. Roderick Kingsley is an already established Spider-Man kind of character and villain. A uh, billionaire, a socialite, and a fashion designer Hmm. um, who also had criminal underworld connections and had been pulling lots of strings along uh, throughout Manhattan um, and come about his wealth in various and ethical ways. And he also had um, employed Mary Jane Watson uh, as a model for a a period of time as well. Um, Now... Along this line, because he had all these underworld connections, he's looking for ways to kind of get a bit of power, protect himself, protect his ill-gotten empire, um, and a hoodlum in his employ (laughs) comes to him one day and says, Boss, you'll never guess it. I stumbled across something that looks like, well, it's got to be the Green Goblin's lair. It's full of his equipment and stuff. And Kingsley says, Ah, yes. A wonderful idea. 
I shall reward you immediately. Shoots him dead. (laughs) (laughs) And then goes into one of Norman Osborne's old hideouts and lairs, takes all his equipment, all his notes, everything. He's got the goblin glider, plans for how to make it and control it, Mm. the pumpkin bombs, how to make them. They've got the costumes. He's also got the secrets to the goblin formula that gives them strength and everything. And he's like, well... (laughs) <laughs> I guess I know what I'm doing now. And he kind of comes up with the um the hobgoblin character as this uh this kind of uh different related one. But the reason why the hobgoblin is so interesting and different, the reason I love it, is because there's so many different twists and turns with his identity and what he does over the years. Um like he doesn't he doesn't just like test the equipment out himself, because that'd be stupid. He'd get beat up by Spider-Man. So he gets a guy in and kind of slightly mind wipes him and puts him in a costume and gives him injects him with the goblin formula and sends him out to battle against Spider-Man and goes, oh no, yeah, that, that formula makes you crazy. I'm not, I'm not taking that. Um, and Spider-Man thinks he's beaten the Hobgoblin finally and takes the mask off and he goes, I found out the Hobgoblin is really this guy I don't know. And Kingsley's like, yeah, if that makes you happy. <laughs> I'm going back to my penthouse and I'm going to smoke cigars and uh, drink lots of wonderful champagne. So it, this stage in the 90s mm. however um the hobgoblin is someone entirely different uh okay. because the hobgoblin's identity had been exposed as someone else entirely <laughs> uh one of peter parker's close friends had been revealed to be the hobgoblin roderick kingsley had like the greek at the end of the Wire season two oh. just gone, and after all, I'm not even Greek, and skips the country, goes to live in South America with uh, a load of money. Nobody knows it's him, and I, he's just like, "Cool." I was going to say, and of course, I'm not even a real goblin. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love that. I love that. So Kingsley's managed to frame an innocent man for his crimes. This guy gets murdered. Uh, Kingsley skips the country scot-free. Amazing. Um, and when this happens, a mercenary and assassin called Jack O'Lantern, <laughs> who has a giant pumpkin-themed f- helmet, <sighs> goes, Ah, Jack O'Lantern sucks. <laughs> I've got a terrible name and a terrible costume. I want to be the Hobgoblin. Did- so he steal... Yeah. I was just about to say, it's... Green Goblin, Jack O'Lantern. It just sounds like like Marvel offices were opposite a Halloween shop or something. <laughs> well, what ideas Probably. can I have? What about Big Pumpkin Head? That'll be good. You're a Batman fan. You're on thin ice. <laughs> <laughs> thin ice. Yeah. There's five guys called Clayface. Only two of them have got clay faces. Um, <laughs> so the the Jack O'Lantern goes. Ah, it would be great for my rep if I was instead could rebrand myself as the Hobgoblin. I've just murdered this guy who was the Hobgoblin. I'm taking all of his equipment and his costume. I'm the new Hobgoblin. Increases my standing in the criminal underworld and stuff. So that's who is the Hobgoblin of the nineties. Um, and we've dealt with him in Maximum Carnage, sort of. Ah. So during a demonic invasion of, of Manhattan, this um, this uh, new hobgoblin, Jason McIndale, um, has been beaten so many times by Spider-Man. He's like, this sucks. I have no superpowers. He finds a demon and sells his soul for power and the demon goes cool i shall weld your soul to that of an actual demon soul um and it transforms 
this guy Jason McIndale into like his face, his handsome face becomes demonic and mm. horrifying, and off he goes. The the hobgoblin becomes an actual like demonic goblin esque creature, and he has hellfire powers and stuff like that. Doesn't last very long, and as we saw in Maximum uh, Carnage, they get split up again, and the demon side of him becomes the demo goblin. Ah, um, okay. So there we go. But the very, very cool and interesting stuff about the Hobgoblin is all based around Roderick Kingsley. And it gets even, like, down the line, Dan Slott starts writing him, and he's just... The ones that write him best write him as... Oh, he never actually wants to... He never does the stupid thing that villains do and gets caught or beat up. He's always... You think the Hobgoblin's been executed or in prison... And then the next panel is a pullback and reveal, and there's Roderick Kingsley on a yacht somewhere uh, in France going, oh dear, looks like I slipped the net again. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, good. Yeah, marvellous. Like, and and uh, love, love you referencing The Wire as usual. Back to the story. Setting Robbie down. Spider-Man is surprised when Robbie starts throwing punches at Spidey, claiming that Jonah was right all along, blaming the destruction of New York on Spider-Man. Robbie mentions the two goblins in the Bugle building, leading Spidey to swing in and deal with the villains. Webbing up Green Goblin... Sorry, webbing up Green Goblin, the villain responds with, But we did what you told us to. Hobgoblin lets slip that there's another Spider-Man that they're reporting into before both of them use their weapons on Spider-Man and escape, with Hobgoblin destroying the Bugle with a bomb. Spider-Man escapes the blast down an elevator shaft with Jameson coerced by the goblins to unlock his microwave transmitter. So have Green Goblin and Hobgoblin ever worked together like this or is it more of a tandem thing? Because I know Hobgoblin dies at one point. Well, yeah, but there's always different Hobgoblins to come along. Um, so they sort of have, but only... Um, it's a sort of, but no, not really. Yeah, there it Under is, duress, perhaps. So... Okay, so Roderick Kingsley, when Dan Slott's writing Spider-Man, he has built a brilliant criminal empire by franchising supervillain identities to criminals all over the world. Amazing. So you pay him a a monthly fee that's really high out of your ill-begotten gains, and in exchange he provides you with tech, costumes, and an identity that will uh, gain you... Respect and fear, <laughs> but it's tw- it's like forty percent of your take every yeah. month. And if you don't pay up, I'll come and kill you. Um, and he even goes around like buying up old respected identities from like criminals, Spidey, old Spidey villains who want to retire, and then sells them on and stuff. Mm. Um, so he returns to Manhattan, um, and a guy called Phil Urich, Ben Urich's nephew. Mm. Stumbles across a hobgoblin lair, gets into a fight with the hobgoblin, kills him, and then becomes the new hobgoblin. Um, oh, but of course, that wasn't actually Roderick Kingsley. No, of it was he's... Roderick Kingsley's brother who he'd been brainwashed to go and do his bidding. <laughs> um, and Roderick Kingsley finds this out and eventually is like, uh, I, oh, he ends up putting, yeah, because Phil Eric, his, uh, his equipment breaks down. And Roderick Kingsley is like, well, you killed my brother, but uh, a good customer is a good customer. I can repair your glider and all your pumpkin bombs for this much money every month. Eventually, Norman Osborn returns from the dead, and he's mad. He starts calling himself the Goblin King, and he hates the idea that 
Roderick Kingsley's in the mix somewhere. There's this Phil Uric, the new um, the new kind of um, hobgoblin knocking around there. He's like, there's only one goblin, and it's me. I am the <laughs> Goblin King. Um, what, a thing gets... to, what a thing to shout out. I am the Goblin King. Yeah, it's mad. That Norman Osborn is off his rocker. <laughs> Excellent. Um, he's so kind of terrifying and powerful, and he's got this army of kind of uh, underworld goblin people mm. that the Phil Uric Hobgoblin goes, I pledge my allegiance to you, my lord, my liege. You're the Goblin King. I'll be your Goblin Knight. How about that? Just don't kill me, you lunatic. So that Hobgoblin starts working for Norman Osborn. Um, and then eventually the 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 Norman Osborn's goblin army goes up against Roderick Kingsley's criminal underworld. Mm. They have a great big fight. It ends up being, why don't we just make it like the olden days, one-on-one medieval fight. Whoever wins gets the other person's armies like they would in <laughs> days of yore. And they go, yeah, great idea. And the goblin king, Norman Osborn, kills Roderick Kingsley, the Hobgoblin, chops his head off and kills him. But of course, no, he didn't. Uh, it's like Phil Eric pulls the mask off and goes, who is this dude? And we cut to Roderick Kingsley in South America somewhere going, oh, looks like my butler's been decapitated. What a shame. <laughs> and um, yeah. It'd be a great twist if Roderick Kingsley never actually was the Hobgoblin at all. He just... You know, he was never did it. He was just always constantly on his boat and just paid people. He spends less time in the costume than anyone else. I yeah. know. It's, great. it's so good. <laughs> it's mad. Anyway, using his webs to get Jameson out of the way of danger, Spider-Man is suddenly grabbed by the tendrils of a monstrous version of himself. Tendrils! Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> this new Spider-Man voices his intentions to obliterate the real Spider-Man and starts throwing everything he has at him. Spider-Man realises that his counterpart on this world has been possessed by the Carnage symbiote. The next second, Spider-Man warps out of existence and is brought before a very weak Beyonder. Madame Webb suddenly appears and explains that the Beyonder grows weak outside of his home and dimension, letting the Beyonder rest and using her life support system to revive him. The two cosmic beings reveal that Spider-Carnage is going to destroy not just this world, but all worlds so madame webb we're getting a movie about her soon apparently i don't know how that's going to be uh i I obviously i assume she's a character from the comics or is this uh (laughs) just stanley finding work for his wife (laughs) yeah it's odd she she kind of plays much more of a role i would say in spider-man's life in the cartoon series than she does in the comics up until perhaps quite recently i have to say um, um uh, stanley's wife i can't remember her bloody name uh she's got joan a, it's like joan joan that's it she's got a great voice great sort of old sort of evil voice when stanley first saw her in the lobby of like a building mm. and he didn't know her he immediately professed his love for her she was apparently an absolute stunner model, <laughs> uh, an actress and stuff. They, I think he proposed within a f- two weeks. Um, and she is the she is the basis, the model in his mind for Gwen Stacy mm. and and the Invisible Woman Sue Storm. Uh, yeah, wow. And I can remember there being when there when there was this debate about. Who'd, who's the going to be Spider Man's long term love interest, Gwen Stacy or Mary Jane? The reason that the, like, it was so evidently meant to be Mary Jane. Like, all the readers love Mary Jane, Mm. and they thought Gwen Stacy was kind of boring. But 
the problem was Stan Lee was like, no, it should be the one based on my wife, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh. And there was a, I remember all the writers saying, uh, John Romita and people like that, and artists and editors saying, Stan's problem is that he was just like, what could be more relatable than a young guy who gets together with the hottest broad around and she loves him, loves him forever. <laughs> like, <laughs> no, Stan, just because it happened to you when you were young with Joan, it's not relatable for our readers. Spider-Man has to bounce from mishap to mishap. Uh. Anyway. Um, yeah, so she is a character. She shows up a lot in like the, I think the, the second or third series of this cartoon series. Then she's not in it for ages. And then she's a major role in, in this last series. Um, in the, In the comics... Yeah, she shows up a few times, but I, I, she's not quite as significant a role in like guiding Spider-Man's life and mm. testing him and stuff. Um, she's created by uh, beloved DC. I mean, wrote for Marvel as well, but Denny O'Neill. Dennis O'Neill is like a, a, a... You mostly associate him with Batman um, and the Green Arrow. Um, and he was working on Spider-Man in, in the 19... Very early, 1980, with John Romita Jr. Um, and they created Cassandra Webb. Um, mm. she is born, uh, blind and paralyzed from the waist down. Um, but she's also telepathic and clairvoyant and precognitive, a very powerful mutant. Um, and she works as a professional medium and has like a shop. Come to Madam Webb's telepathy shop <laughs> and get a reading and stuff. Um, and, uh, it's her husband builds this incredible, um, life. I don't know. Is it, yeah, life support system, mm. um, based out of her chair, which is a series of tubes which end up looking like a big spider web ah. behind her chair. So she's not hasn't got like magic powers or cosmic powers. She's got these mutant powers, but she's also uh, dying without the chair. She needs the chair to live. Um, Spider Man seeks her help on some sort of. Missing persons case. Is the mayor gone missing or the mayor's son or something like that? Um, and she helps. And during this, she reveals that she knows his secret identity of Spider-Man because she has these um, powers. Like the most, I think probably the most famous appearance of hers is in this. There's a, a comic called uh, "Nothing Can Stop the Juggernaut," which is um, uh, an early '80s issue where um, Spider-Man has to protect Madam Web from the Juggernauts. And at the time, that was written as a massive mismatch of power. Mm. Like, the Juggernaut would just stomp through Spider-Man and leave him a, a bloody mess. And so it was this great underdog, you know, fighting up against this un unstoppable villain story um, that's very well thought of and remembered, got a great front cover, very sought-after issue, even though it's kind of 1980s. Mm. Um, so, yeah, she... Bounces around to some other stuff. She crops up here and there. She acts as the mentor to the third, the third Spider Woman, Matty Franklin. Mm. Um, and eventually, when she's about to die, she passes on her gift and her powers and her foresight um, to the second Spider Woman, who had retired then, Julia Carpenter, who becomes the new Madam Web, who was much younger. Mm. That might be, I think, from the images I've seen, uh, who... Because isn't it Anne Hathaway? I thought it was Emily Blunt. Not Emily Blunt. Emily I get Blunt, those two mixed yeah. up. Um, it's Emily Blunt um, mm. playing the role. I think that might be who that character is based on. I might be wrong. Um, I might be wrong. Maybe it's a young version of um, th this 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 Madame Webb. Mm. Uh, what was her name? Um, 
Cassandra Webb. I'm not sure. So but yeah. the just to to the quick tangent there. I mean, we for the Sony verse, we've got. Craven the Hunter film coming out, haven't we? <laughs> yes, we do, yeah. And Madame You're Web. looking forward to Craven the Hunter as a movie? No. I don't know if I even want to see it ironically. Well do you think yeah. do you think we'll have to see it to cover it on the podcast? Of course we do. Okay. I guess I'm gonna see We have it, to then. watch everything, Will. Have to watch it. Yeah, but you won't watch it Last Stand, but I have to watch Craven the Hunter. We watched Morbius Rob, but we can't watch Last Stand again. I've already watched Last Stand. Once you've watched it once, I've watched it a few times. Yeah, <laughs> lots of BDMS fans out there. Yeah, I know. Some just you know, sometimes you just want to appreciate uh, not as good things. Anyway, Madame Web and the Beyonder have been putting Spider Man through a series of tests to see if he's up to the task before them. Everything Spider Man went through during the Secret War was just a prelude to this great task of saving all of reality. Spider-Man asks Madame Web for help. The mysterious being says that Spider-Man must help himself, but he will not be alone. Turning around, Spider-Man sees five other variants of himself. Right. Shall we uh, count the variants, shall we? Have you got a list? Who have we got on screen? On screen? I, I don't have that. I thought you'd have a list on with you. <laughs> you said let's count the variants. Let's count Who the variants. Uh... Okay, it's fine. I'll do it then. There's the guy with six arms. There's the guy with the tentacles, the robotic tentacles. Yep. There's the armored Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's the other Spider-Man that uh, is just a guy, and we find out he has no powers. <laughs> yeah, that was, um, a fun, that was a funny twist. Is that, um, I think that's everyone, everyone isn't it? Is that five variants of himself? Wait. Uh, there was the one six with... arm Spider-Man, tentacle Spider-Man, mm-hmm. uh, uh, sh- shield Spider-Man, mm-hmm. armor Spider-Man. There's one we're missing then. Actor. Maybe I think. Uh, Scarlet Sorry? Spider-Man. Oh, of course, the Scarlet Spider. Scarlet Spider. Of yeah, course. Of course. There we go. Um, yeah, yeah. Those are the those are the those are the spider creatures. So we know Scarlet Spider is from the comic book stories. Yeah. How about the others? Um, tentacle Spider-Man. I don't. As in Spider-Man with the Dark Ark tentacles. I don't think. I can't. I can't recall or see any. Any time that kind of happened, especially not up to this point in the nineties. Um, we the other one is just an unnamed person. He's just I don't have any powers. That's all we know about him. Yeah. So, um, six arm Spider Man, definitely yes, of course. Yes. Um, he, um, it's a an event that happens to Spider Man in the nineteen seventies in. Issue 100 of um, of Spider-Man. 1971. Um, issue 100 and 102. It's the first appearance and origin story of Morbius the Living Vampire. Ah. Um, so after an awful lot of misery in, in Peter Parker's life, uh, his best friend's a junkie. Um, his, his, his mentor, Captain George Stacy, died in his arms. Uh, Gwen Stacy blames Spider-Man for her father's death. He's like, you know what? My life sucks. I <laughs> and he actually says for Peter Parker to live, Spider Man must die. So he has been working on a serum. We discover mm. like since when he first got his powers, um, and it's a, a serum to terminate his spider powers. And he he recklessly takes it, and it ends up mutating him even further, and uh, out of his torso grow four extra arms. Fantastic. Um, 
and it's very weird and horrifying to kind of look at and see. Uh, and then he has to fight the lizard and Morbius. Um, very honestly, the six arm saga, two issues, 1971, loads of fun. Um, great, great dialogue in it. Lots Lovely, of armpits. wonderful. Lots of, um, Lots of armpits. I imagine yeah. extra body odor happening if you had. You'd get through a, 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 a can of Shaw pretty quickly. <laughs> um, and of course, it, it, it was adapted in the in the animated series, yep. the Neogenic Nightmare, the second season what of was, Spider-Man. What was the device? The Neogenic Recombinator. Recombinator? Yeah, I got <laughs> it right. Something. I forgot about it for ages and I remembered it. The yeah. Neogenic Recombinator. Uh, in the in the in the cartoon series, the transformation is caused simply by basically in the cartoon, uh, he doesn't take a serum to get rid of his powers. Mm. It's just the spider bite that first gave him powers is continuing to mutate mm. him like a couple of years later, and then he has to fight Blade and the Punisher. God, that is so awesome! Um, <laughs> the armored Spider Man. Is kind of from a, like a let. Well, it's from another one hundred issue one hundred web of Spider Man issue one hundred nineteen ninety three. So really, really close to this episode coming out. Really, um, and that is just pretty simply. There's a new gang of uh, aggressive villains knocking around called the New Enforcers. They're kind of organized crime dudes, but with superpowers, and they're using high caliber firearms that are doing a lot of damage. And Spider Man is like, oh. I need more protection. So he builds a suit of spider armor. Ah. It's, uh, it is just metallic compound that Peter has designed and built, and he, he just wears it. It only lasts for one issue. Um, it's not portrayed as being amazing. Mm. It is like it slows him down. It makes him a lot less agile, but he is completely bulletproof, and that's a good thing. That's good. But during the battle, there's so many other villains attacking him. Like It gets degraded as the fight goes on, mm. as he fights his way through all these different villains and new enforcers. And by the very, very end of it, someone like has a freeze ray or something like that, and the, the, the metal gets frozen and shatters, and that's it. Now, you never see it again in the comics, pretty much, but... Even for that brief appearance, it has be- become a real, real fast fan favourite. Yeah. That issue is sought after, the front cover particularly, um, for this one-off thing. And it features in, I mean, probably not by 98, but it goes on to feature in multiple video games as an alternate costume or skin, I skin. believe. Skin. Um, also... And- the action figure of it was very popular as well. Also, the new Enforcers sounds like an 80s supergroup. It's just. It sounds like. Uh, yeah, it sounds like uh, they're going to be supporting the Drifters on a uh, <laughs> remembrance tour. Yeah. <laughs> or they called. They used to be the Enforcers, but then it was like the band split off in two, so they had to call and them the Enforcers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or in wrestling, it's a tag team, but yeah. one of the famous, the good one of the tag team yeah. went on to be a single star. Yeah. They brought in some schlob, and now they're the new Enforcers. The new Enforcers. There we are. So. One of the Spider-Man variants walks forward and argues that they should lead the group. But Spider-Man claims he should be leader as he's the real Peter Parker, taking off his mask to reveal his identity. The four-armed Spider-Man responds by taking off his mask and revealing him to be Peter Parker also. Each of them removes their masks, revealing them to be the same person from parallel realities, apart from Scarlet Spider, a.k.a. Ben Riley, who is revealed to be another person, the clone of the evil Carnage Spider-Man encountered earlier. The reality they 
they are all in belongs to Scarlet Spider. Revealing... Do you think that makes him a different person, really? I mean, I, I mean, it's as close to being Peter Parker as you're going to get, isn't it, really? Well, when you say different person, do you mean if he's a, a clone of that universe's Peter Parker, does that make him a different person? Yeah, I mean, I, I just I wouldn't have made that distinction if I, if I... I mean, that would have been a rude distinction to make. I would have gone, we're all essentially Peter Parker, so you're right. We're all it Peter Parker. Like, no, we're all Peter Parker, except for you. We're, you're not. We're clone. all Peter Parker. Some are more Peter Parker than others. <laughs> Nice. Uh, yeah, whatever. I'll, I'll run with it. Revealing the revealing how Carnage Spider-Man came to be. Ben tells the group that this reality Spider-Man lost both Uncle Ben and Aunt May, sending him down a dark path. Meeting Miles Warren. Right. Ooh, that. Hello. Sorry. That is what what we're getting now mm. is the animated series passing comment on the comics. Because Aunt May had just died in the comics. Right. Spider-Man. Okay, there it is. Yeah. Spider-Man had just gone down a very dark path. That's, um, that's All neat. around the time of the of the Ben Riley Scarlet Spider era. That's so, pretty yeah. neat. Uh, meeting Miles Warren, a geneticist. Peter Parker was cloned by Warren, but the clone escaped before changing his appearance and changing his name to Ben Riley. Ben, though, then goes on to explain that after a visit to Dr. Kirk Connors, it might be the Peter Parker that's the clone, not Ben. And that's, that's the news that apparently pushed Peter Parker over the edge. Again, <sighs> happened yeah. in the comics. Yeah. Trying to stop one of Kingpin's crimes involving an interdimensional transporter. So after arriving, uh, Scarlet Spider came face to face with Spider-Man, who wants Scarlet Spider out of the picture. As the two fall, a portal opens up from the interdimensional transporter and out emerges Carnage. Drawn by Peter's hate hatred, the symbiote bonded with him and drove Parker completely insane. There's so much exposition for a cartoon. But it's, mm, yeah. but it's fair enough considering we're, we're in the last episodes of a very long-running story because this cartoon has... So much backstory that it builds and builds and builds on. Uh, in, in, there's a yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah, and there's a there's a, a moment in this that's just it might be nothing. I don't think it is though. Mm. Madam Web, yeah, um, says that reality is like a river, and it can <laughs> yes. have many different branches. Yeah, and for me, I might be wrong, but there is a. Um, Series uh, there's a a, a a a series of books based around something called Riverworld, mm. um, by Philip Jose Farmer, um, which basically takes some of that Riverworld. Every human who's ever lived uh, is resurrected on the banks of a seemingly endless river, mm. and it, so it, it kind of connects every life and every reality um, in this winding. I mean, it might not be a connection to that, but Riverworld um, would go on to influence things like League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, which and lots of other things, which is almost like multiverse yeah. bringing together. I don't know how much I might just kind of be reading into that, but I don't know. I thought I'd bring it up for some reason. No, no, that makes sense. Make, makes sense. So Ben Riley, we've talked about him before, haven't we? Well, earlier today, yes, <laughs> like it's like half an hour ago. Half sure. hour ago, yeah. But I think we talked about it before that. So, what happens to him in the mm. comic books? You know what? I don't think we have talked. I mean, we we talked about him on a bonus episode, maybe like two, three years ago. Yeah, I think we talked about the Clone never, Saga episode. Yeah, he's yeah. never he's never come up because he's, this is the first time he's ever been on on the on the podcast. Mm. Um, 
so as we said um, at the top of part one of uh, the uh, this the double part episode, as they all are now, everything's a two parter. Focus, Rob. Um, ben Riley, uh, the clone, becomes the Scarlet Spider, um, and for a time we've got both the Scarlet Spider and Spider Man hmm. kind of in New York operating at the same time. Um, clone and real version real boy working at the same time um but then peter parker is nearly killed in action um and decides as he's got a uh, mary jane is pregnant so he's got a baby on the way so he needs to be a better husband better father he retires as spider-man and peter parker and mary jane leave new york remember that was the end result of the whole reset in general um and uh Scarlet Spider, like at that stage, what what Marvel did quite quite nicely is they they didn't they replaced every Spider Man comic that month with a Scarlet Spider comic. So whatever month it was, instead of getting the Amazing Spider Man, the Spectacular Spider Man, and Web of Spider Man, you got Amazing Scarlet Spider, Spectacular Scarlet Spider. That was like a, a big. I got all those in a collected um, a collected package, which was felt really cool at the time. Mm. Um, and then uh, Ben Riley um, abandons the Scarlet Spider identity and adopts uh, the Spider-Man, you know, kind of, or essentially goes back to his Spider-Man identity. Um, and uh, he has a new costume. Um, and what he's wearing right in, in this, what the Spider-Carnage is wearing here, mm. you know, if you take the kind of the red carnage elements out of it, you see how he's got this oversized black um spider emblem on the chest yeah and the legs run down the arms and legs yeah. of the of the suit that is ben riley's 90s spider-man costume gotcha it's a really really cool redesign it, i think we've talked about it briefly um it kind of maintains the original updates it a little bit um this is the spider-man that was in that um dc versus marvel event and amalgam comics and stuff oh it's all yes. happening around the same time yeah. and um ben dyes his hair blonde to not look like peter parker it's quite so much even though he's exactly the same and he can't go and work for the daily bugle because he just can't can he oh how do you explain this he goes to work in a coffee shop called the daily grind Three. um and whenever he encounters people from his old life as peter parker he explains the situation in a way that he is an identical cousin from Aunt May's side of the family. Um, and Peter and Ben kind of cement their relationship regarding each other as like brothers. Mm. Like they have shared memories of a childhood, yeah. which siblings would have. So that that's kind of what they um, they take things forward in that direction. There's a brilliant... Uh, th- so he, Ben Riley gets a relationship with a uh, young woman called Jessica. Um, that's going quite well. Although he finds out, of course, she has a vendetta against Spider-Man. <laughs> convinced the hero is a murderer, right? Yeah. And you go, okay. and But he finds that out once they're, you know, several dates deep. In a great bit of classic Spidey soap opera storytelling, Ben later discovers that this Jessica that he's now in a relationship with She's the daughter of the burglar that killed Uncle Ben. And and as a result of Spider-Man, as a result of Spider-Man getting that bloke arrested, she had to go into foster care. And and, and, And her father said, it was not me. It was never me. I was framed by that web slinger. 
for that old guy's murder. So she blames Spider-Man. This is just a great Spidey storytelling. It really, really is. That's a, a great that was a really good um dynamic for that character. It didn't last long, unfortunately, at all. It's really a shame because that was a, a really yeah. good one. Yeah. Um and uh yeah, and then and then Norman Osborne is back from the dead, reveals himself to be the architect behind everything that's been happening recently. Um, and he's gonna kill he's trying to drive Peter Parker insane. He's gonna kill both Ben Riley and Peter Parker. And then in this big fight that happens, a spider gl- a goblin glider is about to impale the Peter Parker on the giant spike, like how Norman Osborn died. Ben Riley leaps in front of the of the, uh, the the blade, takes it right to the heart to save his brother. Um, and as he's dying in Peter Parker's arms, Ben Riley, Spider Man, is basically saying, um, "I've got to save you." Please tell your daughter all about me. I hope that one day she grows up thinking nice thoughts about her Uncle Ben. Because he's Ben Riley, and he'd be the Uncle Ben. And then he dies, but his body turns to, like, ash. And we go, oh, no, he was the clone all along. (laughs) Norman Osborn! (sighs) So that's what happens to Ben Riley. It's a, um, it was an absolute mess we had a bonus episode all about it. I think we released recently, actually, as a um, yeah, we did. We put that out on the, on the main show as a um, as an anniversary uh, special look. Uh, it's a very quick ride through the Clone Saga. Um, multiple times throughout the event, they said the creatives at Marvel said the mastermind behind this event cannot be Norman Osborn. We cannot do all this damage and then ruin the greatest Spider-Man story of all time by bringing Norman Osborn back from the dead. Yeah. However, that's exactly what happened. <laughs> of course. Because Ron Perlman needs to sell comics, goddammit. Ron Perlman needs his money, baby. After Scarlet Spider's story, he demands to know why the Beyonder is here and involved in this mess. Beyonder shows them what will happen next. Spider Carnage will link a matter disintegrator bomb to a time portal device that will destroy every single reality across space and time. The Beyonder has travelled to this point in time as it's the only possible way to stop Spider Carnage. Madam Web and the Beyonder are using all their power just to stay in this moment in space and time and make sure the team of Spider-Men do their job. So Rob, the Beyonder... What can you tell us about him? We dealt with one of our early bonus episodes about the original Secret Wars from the 1980s. Mm. Um, in Secret Wars, uh, the Beyonder, we don't, it's not really like it doesn't have a body, it's a, a voice and a power. And it creates a planet called Battle World uh, out of pieces of lots of different planets. It rips like cities up out of planets smashes them together to form a small world called Battle World. Um, one of the pieces is Denver in Colorado. <laughs> it just gets ripped out of the and flies across the space and lands there. Yeah. Um, and he abducts a bunch of superheroes, a bunch of supervillains from Earth, forces them to fight each other so he can observe the never-ending battle between good and evil. Um, and he has a great time doing that. His powers get briefly, its powers get briefly stolen by Doctor Doom, like in this thing we heard earlier in this cartoon. Um, and then in the sequel, 
which came out the year after, Secret Wars 2, we learn a bit more about it. Mm. So we learn the Beyonder is actually the manifestation of the Beyond Realm, or simply Beyond, okay. which exists... It is what exists outside the multiverse. <laughs> oh, God. Whatever is beyond all of creation <laughs> is the Beyonder. Like, we have to deal with multiverse. Now there's outside the multiverse. Mm. Man. And, and this dimension was accidentally accessed and looked at by a lab technician called Owen Reese. Mm. And Owen Reese, by looking and accessing this thing you should never look at and see, some of the energy from this dimension went into Owen Reese and he gained virtually infinite power and became the Molecule Man, who was quite a significant figure um, in, in, in Marvel, sort of. Um, and the remaining energy of the Beyond Realm, because it had encountered a consciousness and a th- someone with thought for the first time, the remaining energy of the Beyond Realm gained sentience and gained things like curiosity and uh, a desire and and a boredom and that became the beyonder mm. and in the sequel instead of bringing superheroes to him he goes to earth and it is largely quite wacky right so you know i don't know if you'll if this will resonate but things like in the maybe the 80s and the 90s there'd be like um you know like do you remember suburban commando i Hulk never Hogan saw movie? it i never saw it it's, but it's about an alien that comes to Earth and has a hard time fitting in. Mm. And then there's another movie about, like, I don't know, like a Conan, the barbarian character, traveling to the modern day. Mm. And he has a hard time fitting in. <laughs> and then there's that Star Trek movie where they travel to modern day LA. And Star there's Trek lots Four. of, like, yeah. But it doesn't really matter what it's called. But yeah, there's all those moments of, like, all the wacky there's a there's a dramatic plot going on but it's all the look captain kirk's trying to get on a bus (laughs) (laughs) and there's a guy with a ghetto blaster and spock gives him a nerve pinch and there's all that sort of that that is like a really common kind of fun trope Mm. during the 80s and kind of maybe it dies out by the time of the 90s but it's that sci-fi fantasy character plonked down in today and wouldn't that be wild and wacky Secret Wars 2 is... You know, you I was about to say example? that. You said Conan the Barbarian-style character comes to the real world. Was that He-Man, the Masters of the Universe film they did? No, nah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, maybe a little bit, but that wasn't what I was thinking. I think it's Beastmaster. Oh, okay, I think there's okay, a Beastmaster okay. movie where that happens. Anyway, um, but Secret Wars 2 is basically like that. The Beyonder gives himself a body and goes to Earth and goes, so what is it the humans do then? Um and I think the first person he meets is Luke Cage. And he's like, <laughs> I haven't got time to deal with you. If you want to be in this world, you've got to go out and get some money, honey. Um, and he just basically goes to lots of different superhumans and supervillains and learns a different lesson about humanity and feeling. And, you know, sometimes he's after money. Sometimes he just eats loads and gets dead fat. And sometimes yeah. he, and he, he's a massive, massive cosmic disturbance and nuisance and he could end all of reality so he's a problem but he's also like he's like mork from morgan mindy yeah. <laughs> but bugging superheroes all the time he's like batmite it was like batmite the long you don't remember batmite nope, even though you're nope, a batman nope. fan oh, call himself a batman fan you don't know batmite the imp from the third dimension oh that rings a bell you know mr mixed expedlix because i saw him pop up in a superman thing yep there's a batman version of that called batmite 
who would turn up and play Batman in the 50s and 60s. Amazing. Anyway, Mr. Mix, that's Mr. the Beyonder. Uh, he wears a, a white disco suit for a lot of these 1980s uh, stories where he's got a body. Yeah, <laughs> fun. That's a lot of fun. At Kingpin's building, the crime boss meets with Spider Carnage about building a device to conquer the world. A device that Kingpin believes is a mind control machine, unaware of Spider Carnage's true intentions. Meanwhile, the spider team goes through the front door of the building and takes out the guards. The armoured Spider-Man, who is a high-tech multi-billionaire, uses his hacking powers to disable the security system, prompting Kingpin to send the two goblins after them. The goblins, along with a team of soldiers, ambush the spider team, but they are no match for the might of six Spider-Men. However, armoured Spider-Man launches a paralysing gas grenade at Hobgoblin that also harms tentacle Spider-Man, causing them both to be walked back to the Beyonder. I love the fun they're having with the multiverse Spider-Man, especially this armoured one who's is essentially Tony Stark. Yeah, it's interesting because that character doesn't really isn't doesn't exist really. Like we said, the armored Spider Man is just a, Peter Parker built some armor and it didn't last very long, and they built a whole character around that look but, basically. Yeah, but then in 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 uh, two thousand and let's say five, mm. you know, remember we talked about looked at House of M. Yeah, and the whole point of House of M was essentially every I think every hero's wish is granted. Yeah, their deepest desire. Spider-Man's life looks a lot like this dude's life. He um, he's an alternate universe. Um, he's married to Gwen Stacy, mm. not Mary Jane. Uncle Ben is alive. He's rich. The whole world knows his identity. He has a company. He's really well liked by you know the general public and stuff. So it's a bit bit like this. Mm, okay, so obvious as well as that, it's odd seeing um, Spidey working with a team. Apart, you know, obviously we've seen with the Avengers and stuff, but you know, a team of other Spider Men. Like, has Spider Spider Man uh, joined any other superhero teams in the comics? The Avengers is like an is, is an oddity. Mm. My entire life, it was like when it when Spider Man first joined the Avengers in like two thousand and three or whatever. Mm. It was like this is this shouldn't happen. Mm. This is weird. Spider Man's not a team guy. Um, before that, so we had the new Fantastic Four. Uh, in the nineteen early early nineties, mm. um, which was uh, an open cash grab story arc, it really was. Um, the Fantastic Four are indisposed. I think they're believed dead. Yeah, they're dead. And so there's this brief story arc that only lasts like three issues. It should have been four, um, where the Fantastic Four's last wishes bring together. The replacement Fantastic Four, uh, which is Spider Man, Ghost Rider, Wolverine, and the Grey Joe Fixit Hulk, uh, the new Fantastic Four. Now, this is one hundred percent cash grab gimmick story. Yeah, these are the four most popular heroes in Marvel. Uh, maybe the Punisher, but he doesn't quite fit. Mm. So it was just Ghost Rider has no connection to the Fantastic Four. Wolverine has no connection to the Fantastic Four. The Hulk has no connection to the Fantastic <laughs> Four. Ram them all together with Spidey, who does. And it leaned into the fact that it was a cash grab. Yeah. The FF, the Fantastic Four's comic book, has a, a tagline at the top of each issue. And it has done since the 60s. And it reads, the world's greatest comic magazine. For decades it's read that. For these issues, it read, the world's most commercialist comic magazine. 
Um, oh, that is some tremendous self-awareness. That is what cute. happened is they were kind of the, the creative team were, were told like sales aren't great. We need you to be. Is there any way you can be a bit more like? You need to try and move in a direction to be more like these popular comics like Spider-Man, Ghost Rider, Wolverine, and the Hulk. And they went, okay, that's what we're gonna do. We'll do four issues where we are exactly like those comics. Um, so that's fun. Two thousand and four. Um, yeah, oh, yeah, it wasn't 2000, 2004. And that's when Spider-Man joins the Avengers for the, for the, really for the first time. Um, the Avengers have been destroyed by Wanda Maximoff. Um, and then fate throws together. Electro causes this massive, um, supervillain breakout on uh, a supervillain prison called the Raft. Mm. Um, and a whole bunch of supervillains get released. 42 escapees. Mm. Um, uh, and it is all kind of contained by uh, this accidental thrown together of Captain America, Iron Man, Luke Cage, Jessica Drew, Spider-Woman, Spider-Man, and Matt Murdock. Um, and sans Matt Murdock, they all become the new team of Avengers. Um, and Spider-Man has to be really convinced to do that. Captain America goes to him to try and convince him, and he's like... Nah, Cap, you don't understand. I'm like I'm I'm a I'm a loner. I don't work with anybody. It's just how it is. And Captain America goes, Really? How's that working out for you? Mm. <laughs> and Spider-Man nearly collapsed and goes, Oh god, it's not going well. My life's terrible. Yes, I'll join the Avengers. And he's like, Yeah, it's a good idea. I put my arm around you on a few uh front you know, front pages of a few newspapers and your life will change a bit. Um and then he's like, and at the very end, he's like, also, to be fair, right now, things are really tough. I, I mean, it's just going to be great to have some steady income for a while. <laughs> and Cap goes, oh, yeah, this team has no money. <laughs> like, oh, no, the Parker luck strikes again. Um, yeah. He joined the, um, there's a Fantastic Four story in the 2000s where the Human Torch dies. Mm. And... They basically retire the Fantastic Four. They, the Ben, Reed, and Sue won't wear the FF colours anymore. They won't wear the number four. The Fantastic Four are done, but they put together kind of like a new team. It's called the Future Foundation, hmm. which is named after their school they have of a lot of kids. They wear white and black, and they bring in to replace Johnny, they bring in basically his best friend. Peter Parker, Spider-Man. Um, and he kind of like um, replaces, for a lot of reasons, even though he's got a science brainy head, mm. he's also the resident young person that makes jokes yeah. uh, and all that kind of stuff. And, and so that, that goes on. Um, and then he also, I think more recently he joined, yeah, when Wolverine died, he joined the Wolverine's version of the X-Men. Um, but he, I think that was mainly as a teacher. He was teaching the kids at the Jean Grey school. I don't know if he joined them in battle and stuff, but mm. yeah, a few over the years. If someone out there mentions the Secret Defenders, I'm going to slap you. Not Se- a real Secret team. Defenders. Mm, I won't. Well, you can't slap me because I'm. I lovable. can. Oh, you can't. I was in London recently. I can go there again. You were too busy quivering in fear at the underground. Well, <laughs> the last time I said, um, last time I said. I'm going to drive to your house and slap you on Facebook. I got a partial ban from Facebook. Yeah. Because they were like, terroristic threats are being made against Will Preston, our sweet baby child. You leave him be. Yeah, I, uh, I, I'm known around Facebook. They like me. Anyway, 
While Spider-Man insists on sneaking into the next area, high-tech Spider-Man decides to confidently go in loud, alerting all the troops as well as the Green Goblin. Getting shot by the Green Goblin's paralyzer ray, the high-tech armored Spider-Man is sent back to the Beyonder, leaving only three Spider-Men left on the team. The Spider-Team webs up Green Goblin and bursts into Kingpin's lab, taking on Kingpin, Alistair Smythe and Spider-Carnage. However, the six-armed Spider-Man suddenly recoils in pain as it begins to mutate into a humongous man-spider, which turns on the other two Spider-Men. Wow, so has Spider-Man ever become a huge monster like this in the original stories? He did in this uh, cartoon series. That was the end result of yeah. the... First, you grow the the big all the arms at your stomach, and then you become a big monster. But that didn't that's not that didn't happen in the in the in the comics. That that the the six the six armed saga mm. doesn't result in Spider Man becoming a big monster. But in the seventies, it happens to him. He goes to the Savage Land, mm. which is uh, that place up in Antarctica. That's uh, yes. uh, a jungle area full of dinosaurs, that's odd one. creatures, yeah. and a bunch of mutates who uh, Magneto created to rule over instead of mutants. Um, and one of the mutates is called Brainchild, and he builds, he's got a very big head, and it's brainy. <laughs> but he's got a spindly little child body. He's grotesque to look at. It's like the um, opposite of MODOK. Actually, no, no. He's, he's, no, he's the same he's as MODOK. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, His what, head's was, what am I been. thinking? Yeah. Brainchild kind of... Um, has built this device, this machine, that can de-evolve you into a primordial form. And Spider-Man gets de-evolved into a monstrous kind of man-spider thing like that. Um, that happens then. And then in 2004, it happens to him again. Yay! Um, in the Avengers Disassembled crossover event, all the Avengers are being disassembled. Um, Spider-Man, not an Avenger, but it's still happening to him. He encounters an enemy called the Queen who has power and dominion to control insects and arachnids. And she triggers a transformation in him. Um, he grows extra eyes and hair that kind of cover like spindly spiky hair. Mm. Um, and then he, he changes into this man spider. Um, but he does have his human mind. Does he have his human mind? I'm not sure. Okay. It's this monstrous, horrible spider being. Um, and then he dies in that form. And like like when a spider dies, it becomes like this husk shell. Yeah. And then Peter Parker breaks out from inside the husk of this spell body. Um, and he's got like a new human form. Yeah. Um, it's healed all the injuries and problems he had. And he's now got enhanced spider powers. That sounds like the end of Ghostbusters, where they, they you know, they get uh, possessed by the dogs, and then at the end they sort of got to break them out of the husks of the dogs. Ah, right. Yeah, I don't remember that. that. So the enhanced spider powers, as I was saying, this is how comic book Peter Parker Spider Man gets organic webbing. So oh, yeah, okay. They wanted to bring the comic books more in line with Tobey Maguire, yeah. Sam Raimi movies that were coming out there. Um, and they were, we don't like this discrepancy of, if you watch the movie, he's got organic webbing. If you read a comic, he's got these web shooters. Mm. So they did this whole storyline that involved him being devolved into a spider, dying, coming, breaking out the husk, and then he had more, even more, spidery powers. <laughs> 
I think it's appropriate for this episode, Will, which is all about stepping up, stepping forward, being responsible for each and every one of you out there, you listeners, to think about your responsibilities. Yes. Not to your fellow man, but to this <laughs> podcast. Podcasting is a two-way street. If you just consume, 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 you're no better than spider carnage. You will <laughs> suck this podcast dry. Will will become a dried-out husk, and no Peter Parker will emerge from his shell. No. <laughs> You've all got to give back. It's a circular arrangement. That's how it works in the podcasting world. Great content like this that we provide for you every single week doesn't get made cheaply in terms of like physical labor and cost it's not cheap it's not easy we don't subject you to intrusive adverts to to try and pay the bills we don't you know there's no mattress guys trying to sell you stuff there's no there's no horrible pills that keep you uh up all night um we rely entirely on you guys out there being a community being invested in this wonderful show and thinking about your own future enjoyment and going yeah i want there to be more great episodes i want these guys to carry on making cool shows that i love to listen to every week well the only way to do that is if you can come together um if you don't want me and will to go away, to shut down, to start walking the streets for money. Mm. I'll send him down the docks, I will. I'll send him down the docks. I live near to... some docks. <laughs> Build up that budget. Yeah. You're going to have to dig deep. You're going to have to do the right thing. That's on patreon.com slash Marvel versus Marvel. It's where all our awesome bonus content lives. We give it back as a way of saying thank you to the people that come together, that forge a community, and that invest in this show and their own entertainment um this year alone will can you believe the full-length deep dive bonus episodes we've done this year we did maximum carnage in january yes um spinning out of our um carnage episode and we looked at that big arc that went on too long (laughs) (laughs) iron fist showed up didn't do anything went home um but there was also some weird, weird kind of stuff in that. We then looked at the Kang Dynasty in February. Very important to um, look at that. Man, yeah, we got mm. a jump start. Like if you're on if you're at the VIEP tier on Patreon, you can you can get a full deep dive into the Kang Dynasty years before that movie comes out. Um then we went and looked at uh, Doctor Doom versus the Black Panther. We looked at Wakanda Doom War. Mm. Um for our anniversary month, we looked at the time that DC and Marvel Comics worked together, merged universes and characters and created Amalgam Comics. We were talking about that the other day at the Radio Times offices, weren't we? Mm. Um that was oh, a, God, uh, that was good. Yeah. And then the War of Kings that came out in May. Perhaps the biggest um, cosmic event. What do you think? Is that the we looked at a lot of cosmic events? We've looked. We've done. I think we've done like all of um, the Dan Abner, Andy Lanning, Guardians uh, run. We looked at the Annihilation Wars, yeah. but War of Kings was political. It was. It, it, we were looking at. There was. There were a lot. Of, what I liked was the realistic uh, things about war, about logistics as well, but on a on a cosmic scale, it was. Oh, you could tell it was written by people who know their stuff. Absolutely. And this month, as we've got Across the Spider-Verse out in cinemas, I'm going to take Will on a deep dive into the comic book sequel to Spider-Verse, 
The Inheritors are back. Those vampiric monsters that are unkillable and unstoppable and feed on spider people. They're back. Everything's going terribly, terribly wrong. And it is going to be Spider-Geddon. That's our deep, deep dive on the bonus show um, this month. We're really looking forward uh, to diving into that one. Um, You can get that if you give enough. Huh? That's how it works. If you give, you get back. If you give at the, we've got, we've got, we got, we can hook you up at the smallest level. Three pounds a month will get you in the door, and for that's the price of a cup of coffee. Really, not a huge amount in this day and age. That three Brexit pounds, and that's going to get you access each and every month to obscure Marvel, um, where we dive through the trash cans of the Marvel universe. Um, uh, this month uh, in June, we looked at the Beetle. <laughs> um, whose cunning plan was to defeat superheroes with buckets of hot soup um i still can't believe uh that that was a plan and the hero he used it on is anyway uh, <laughs> uh obscure marvel <laughs> yeah. the beetle as we try and break Will's mind with the most yeah. ridiculous characters and stories each and every month, um, you can pay a little bit more and get early access to every uh, every main show episode. Three days before the rest of the world, you can listen to us Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Um, and if you give more than that, you get access to those full-length deep dives at the VIEP tier. There's over 70 bonus episodes available for you right now. Like, your first month with us... That £10, you're not going to have time to listen to anything else. You're just going to be deluged with so much bonus content. You're going to pack that month out. You're not going to have, you're going to have to cancel your subscriptions to everything else because a month with Marvel versus Marvel on Patreon, it's so jam packed with incredible trivia and history and stories. It's all waiting for you. Patreon.com slash Marvel versus Marvel. Do the right thing. Give back. Ensure that we're still here to provide you with incredible episodes as we go forward. And the only way to do that is to come together as a community. Step up. Be counted. Do the right thing. Patreon.com slash Marvel versus Marvel. That brings us on to the final episode of Spider-Man. Chapter 2. Farewell, Spider-Man. The final ever episode. Yeah, of Spider-Man the Animated Series. This is the final one. As Madam Web and the Beyonder see that Spider-Carnage's device hasn't been detonated yet, they are still powerless to help the remaining two members of the Spider-Team who are grappling with Man-Spider. As the Spider-Men fight the monster, Kingpin and Spider-Carnage activate the mind control device, which is actually Spider-Carnage's interdimensional matter disintegrator. The Do that devo- one again? It's a what? It's a... Interdimensional Matter Disintegrator. <laughs> good, I'm good. married to a German. I know how to do long words. Uh, the device rises to the sky and begins to open a portal. It's weird how Kingpin is outsmarted by Carnage. Because I always had Kingpin down as quite calculating and intelligent. Yeah, but he's a, he's a, he's a goofball. It's a cartoon. It's a Saturday morning cartoon. They're all, he's just blinded by greed, isn't he? Yeah, he's like, I'm going to control people in the rubble of a broken world. Yay! <laughs> yeah, then I'll be able to go to all those fancy... Oh, wait, I can't go to fancy parties anymore because everything's a rubble! God, he's an idiot. <laughs> Kingpin and Spider-Carnage are surprised to see Spider-Man suddenly enter the room and stun them both with a sonic grenade. As Spider-Man starts to deactivate the machine, Spider-Carnage recovers and ensnares Spider-Man in his tendrils. 
Looking on, the Beyonder uses his power to warp Man Spider out of Kingpin's building and into their lair, who instantly attacks the Beholder, only for the mysterious being to warp both him and Man Spider out of this reality. At Kingpin's lab, Kingpin deals with Spider-Man while Spider-Carnage starts to reactivate the machine. Spider-Man tries to reason with Kingpin, explaining that Spider-Carnage has actually constructed a bomb that will destroy them all. Kingpin doesn't believe him as the building shakes from the portal opened by the machine. The other Spider-Man enter and back up Spider-Man's claim. Kingpin asks Spider-Carnage why he's doing this, only for the symbiote to reveal his true nature. Spider-Carnage recounts all the people he's loved who have been taken away from him and how the universe has always been against Peter Parker. So he's going to destroy the universe itself. I liked that, that there was an actual twisted as it was. Hmm. If you think, what do we talk about? Spider-Man uh, is always about grief and loss and pain. Yeah, yeah. And you go, yeah, that person... That person is the kind of person that would turn on everything you you would think. That's that was, was, the, the, that was that's the Yang of of of, Pete, of the of Peter Parker's year. And he's you know there's an optimism versus pessimism mm. sort of thing to be said here. Spider Carnage, absolutely mad. Uh, it does feel like they made up for this cartoon, but has Carnage ever possessed Spider Man in the Marvel comics? Yeah, in 1998, right, like months before this kind <laughs> of was like I don't know how far before it was being created, I but yeah. Know. Um, the Carnage symbiote um, manages to uh, leave um, Cletus Cassidy, who's locked up. Um, yeah. It travels through the toilet in his cell <laughs> and down the plumbing. Um, it briefly grabs hold of uh, John Jameson, yeah. the son of J. Jonah Jameson, who is a prison uh, security guy at the high-stakes kind of supervillain vault at the time, uses him as the host, and he goes around killing and all sorts and gets escapes. Mm. Um, and um, and then uh, Spider-Man comes on to confront it, and Spider-Man at the time is Ben Riley, not Peter Parker. Peter Parker has retired and, in fact, lost his powers. So it is Ben Riley, the uh, original, in inverted commas. Mm. Um, and he bonds with the symbiote voluntarily. Because the symbiote is leaping from host to host, mm. overpowering people completely. They've got no willpower. Um, he's, the carnage is just so powerful, the symbiote, and just murdering people um, indiscriminately. And Ben Riley reasons, I'm, I think I'm going to have stronger mind and a stronger willpower than the average person on the street. I would hope I'd be able to keep that monster in check more than those people. And so off he goes, um, and uh, yeah, wow! It um, that's what that's what happens to him, and he kind of uh, it goes doesn't go terribly well to begin with. He's able to kind of hold it back. He's fighting to keep it under control. He transforms into Spider Carnage. It looks very much like this, or the mouth is much better in the comics. Um, and he goes prowling the city, and he's he's obviously looking for someone to kill, but he goes towards like muggers. Uh, rapists and things like that and he has to he, he, he'll stop the mugger right. and then he has to really fight to stop himself from murdering them um, <laughs> and at one stage he suppresses the symbiote so much that Spider-Man just starts begging the muggers to run away from him please run please um, mm. yeah 
and the costume. So the, it, in this cartoon, it's the spy, the the, the Carnage symbiote changes Spider Man's costume, so it's got that more black and on it um, mm. from the original. But it, that in the in the comics, that's not the case. It is as we said before. Ben Riley's Spider Man costume has that oversized uh, black spider on the front and stuff like that. So yeah. It's uh, it is it is certainly a thing that happened, and it's really it was really popular. The design was really cool. Oh, I can it imagine. Was, yeah, and it was um, drawn by Mark Bagley, who drew an awful lot of um, Carnage over the years. In fact, they might have co-created him, I think. Um, and that design, that front cover, it's a very highly sought after comic. It, mm. It's 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 beloved. Yeah, brilliant. The Kingpin tackles Spider Carnage as the symbiote laughs. As they fight, the spider team work on deactivating the machine. As the portal closes, Spider-Man... Sorry. Spider-Carnage steals the interdimensional component from the machine and escapes into a small portal, leaving the rest of the Spider-Men to deal with the matter-disintegrator bomb that will now only destroy the building they're in instead of the universe. Just as the building explodes, the spider team, along with Kingpin, are teleported back to Madame Web. Celebrating a job well done... Madame Webb warps Kingpin back into jail. I never expected the symbiote to be this good with technology. But it's Spider-Man, not the symbiote, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I guess, I guess. It's a mix of the two. But it's just, whenever you see, like, Venom, you think, oh, it's just mindless violence. When you see Carnage, it's mindless violence. You never think of them doing something like but this. That's, yeah, but that's because Cletus Cassidy and Eddie Brock are idiots. They're dumb, <laughs> they're dumb, they're dumb people. They, Eddie Brock lifts weights... Cletus Cassidy, I'm assuming, just chases down his cousins in his trailer park. Yeah, um, yeah. And then he bonds with genius Peter Parker. Wow. Okay. Yep, yep. You got me there. The Spider Team celebration is short-lived when Madame Webb reveals the current location of Spider Carnage. The symbiote is in the Peter Parker Foundation building in the Armored Spider-Man's universe, but the Armored Spider-Man is in no fit state to go in. Madame Webb says she only has enough energy to send one of the team, with Spider-Man volunteering himself to go ahead. Warping to the other reality, Peter Parker finds a reality where everyone in New York loves Spider-Man, explaining armored, uh, the armored hero's big ego. So New York uh, has a love-hate relationship any, with the normal Spider-Man, doesn't it? He's, he's usually seen as a menace, but some people like him. It's, uh, it's an odd one, isn't it? Yeah, there's a great... I forget where it appears, but there's a great long, like, Vox... It's pages and pages, Maybe it's a whole short story. It's a Vox mm. Pop uh, interviewing residents of, of Manhattan about Spider-Man. And there's... It's a wonderful cross-section of... Um, for, I forget what writer did it, but there's fun stuff. Like, there's a guy that goes... Nah, there's just people that go, I hate him. Someone that goes, he's a... He's a, he's a isn't he a killer? Um, and then there's people that go, he's brilliant, he's a hero. There's one dad holding a little girl, and the little girl is going, he's great, I saw him <laughs> fight the guy with the big long legs. And the dad whispers to the cameraman, she's talking about Daredevil, he goes, and he and Spider-Man beat the guy on stilts, he beat him by throwing his spider stick at his face. And he goes, he, she, means, she means Daredevil. <laughs> um, that's a really good one. There's um, uh, like a hot dog vendor who goes, ah, oh, that guy, like, he saved me. He saved my life one time. I was being mugged, and he saved me. And I I, I said, I said, free hot dogs for life. <laughs> That's what I said to him. Every day this guy comes back to my cart. Every day. 
<laughs> I know I said free hot dogs for life. I didn't think it would be here every day for a free hot dog. <laughs> Such a great one. Oh, and then there's a touching lovely. one of a mom. I think it's a mom talking about how her son got wrapped up with the wrong people, mm. was a lookout on a crime or something, a robbery, and Spider-Man stopped the robbery, but did the extra right thing of he realised this was a mixed-up kid who made a mistake and he didn't hand him over to the police. <sighs> he gave him a second chance. And <sighs> there's a really great cross-section. That's lovely. Um, but the hot dog vendor's the best one for me. Like, the way that the people of New York view Spider-Man should be, like, any metropolitan city, it's like... He's just as annoying as, oh, I can never get a cab in this town because bloody Spider-Man's always having a fight with someone. Yeah, yeah, I hate, yeah. what do you hate about New York? I hate the smell. I hate how hot it is and the traffic and that Spider-Man. Those are things I hate about New York. <laughs> like, he's a nuisance in that respect. I, think. I, I like see, it a lot. From a low level, like on the street kind of a perspective, I totally get it. I could totally yeah. get that. Oh. Modern people are all in their own. I've got to get. I've got to, especially New York, especially yeah. that kind of Eastern Seaboard. I've got to get there, and this guy's in my way because he's fighting an octopus man. I've got to take the <laughs> other line. You know, I've got to. T- I can't remember. I don't know what the lines are called in the New York subway. But yeah, God, I can. I can if that was happening in London, I'd be like, Oh God, I got to get a bus because he f- crashed into the central yeah. line. Oh, what? Just let them take the money and run away, and yeah, then I can get to work. Anyway, anyway. <laughs> Arriving in the Peter Parker Foundation building, Spider-Man is surprised by uh, high-tech Spider-Man's fiance Gwen Stacy, who is annoyed that her husband-to-be is late to the lavish party they have planned. Feeding her white lies, Spider-Man continues his research of the building for Spider-Carnage. Sorry, continues his search of the building for Spider-Carnage. Finding a laboratory, Spider-Man is surprised by high-tech Spider-Man's giant robot who was commanded by Spider Carnage <laughs> to fight Spider-Man. However, the robot responds to voice commands by Peter Parker, leading to both Spider-Man and Spider-Carnage giving conflicted orders to the towering robot. After getting orders from two Spider-Men at once, the robot overloads and falls over, releasing Spider-Man. However, the next second, a familiar figure enters the room. Mary Jane. I have to say... If you are going to introduce a big, cool robot into a story and it doesn't do anything, you suck. (laughs) I'm sorry. It's a Chekhov's gun kind of thing. (laughs) I know it did something, but what it did was not a big, cool robot thing. It just fell over. But I think we've got a lot of stuff going on, so we can have a bit of robot, but not too much. No, I want giant robot versus spider carnage. You know that would be awesome. That would rule. You can't always get what you want, Rob. Leave the Yes, you can. Yes, you can. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> of course you can <laughs> so does uh, Spider-Man ever have a big robot like this in the comics well this is a nod to the Japanese Spider-Man TV series mm. of the 1970s produced by the Toy Company um, in that is it Spider-Man it's sort of uh, it wears Spider-Man's costume see if this is a familiar Spider-Man story to you, uh, young Will Preston. Young motorcycle racer uh, Takuya Yamashiro sees a UFO falling to Earth, a spaceship named the Marveler. Uh, Takayuma um, finds inside the Marveler Garia, the last surviving warrior of Planet Spider, a world (laughs) that was destroyed by Professor Monster and the Iron Cross Army. Uh, Goraya explains that he's hunting Professor Monster, but now he's dying and needs someone else to carry on the fight. He injects Takuya with some of his own blood 
and the blood of a person from Planet Spider gives Takuya spider powers. He then gives him a bracelet that activates his spider protector costume, shoots web lines, and controls the marvellous ship. The marvellous ship transforms into a giant badass robot called Leopardon. (laughs) It is 60 metres tall, 200 foot tall. And Leopardon wields a giant freaking sword called Sword Vigor. It's, that's, of course, you've got to give him a big sword. Classic Spider-Man story. <laughs> um, so that's the Japanese Spider-Man. Um, and it's a bit of a nod to that, uh, I believe. Uh, that Japanese Spider-Man, we're going to hopefully get a chance to review that one time because it's awesome as anything. And during Spider-Verse, the comic book event, which attempts to use every version of Spider-Man ever... Takuyu, uh, Takuya uh, Yamashiro joins Peter Parker's gang of Spider-Men and brings Leopardon into battle with him. Excellent. Spider-Man takes off his mask and tells Mary Jane how much he's missed her. But the Mary Jane of this reality does not know Peter Parker and is merely flattered by his words. Mary Jane's aunt Anna enters and is thrilled at her niece seemingly in a relationship with Peter Parker. Mary Jane cuts this short by leading her aunt to the party, leaving Peter Parker to explain to Gwen Stacy about his outburst to Mary Jane. The next second, a group of well-wishers enter, led by J. Jonah Jameson, who is Peter's godfather. That's how you know the universe is messed up. That's, that, was, that was a great <laughs> hammering at home right there. As everyone tries to talk to people into coming downstairs to the party, Wilson Fisk enters and introduces himself as Peter Parker's lawyer, and there's some papers he needs to sign. In Wilson Fisk's office, Peter is shown to a seat, but Fisk presses a button, restraining Peter to the chair as it drags him into a secret passageway. That was another nice touch with uh, Kingpin as Peter Parker's lawyer. Yeah. Yeah, that was good. So, are there any weird alternate versions of Kingpin in the comics, or is he always like a bad gangster guy? He's always a corrupt, scheming so. man. Always. Like, I, I can't think of one where he isn't. Um... The ones that the, the 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 weirdest ones that leap to mind. Oh, well, there's one. It's not that terribly weird, but there's one where it's essentially like Tarzan. Mm. Um, that came about during Spider Geddon crossover that we're gonna um, look at in our big big, big bonus episode. Um, so the Wilson Fisk of this other world um, orchestrates the plane crash that kills. Richard and Mary Parker. Oh, damn. And the plane crashes in the Savage Land. But young little baby Peter Parker is aboard the plane, is the only survivor of the plane crash, all alone in the prehistoric jungles of the Savage Land, (laughs) where he is raised by giant, monstrous prehistoric spiders and becomes the Savage Spider-Man, kind of a Tarzan Kazar character. Um... There's there's one where this comes up in the Secret War, the 2015 Secret War Battle World kind of event. There's a world where the the Civil War, um, the superhero Civil War kind of went differently. Mm. Uh, Wilson Fisk kills Dr. Octopus, steals his arms, the, uh, yeah. the tentacles, grafts them onto himself... The tentacles go, you're not Dr. Octopus, and retaliate. (laughs) 
and they electrocute him in the head until he's essentially brain dead. No. Um, but it's still alive, and the tentacles are kind of in charge and <laughs> marching his body around. Um, Spider-Gwen, um, who is not Spider-Gwen, what is she called? Ghost Spider or whatever she is. Mm. But Spider-Gwen from Spider-Verse and stuff. Um, in her in her alternate universe, the Kingpin um, has... A, his lawyer is Matt Murdock. Ooh. Matt Murdock is a evil villain oh, no. that works for the Kingpin. And is in fact nicknamed um, Matt Murderdock because he... <laughs> kills a lot um, and it's later then revealed that matt murder doc is the real kingpin and wilson fisk is just his patsy his upfront oh, guy god um yeah so nothing nothing overly i think there's one that's interesting but it's not that wild or different and mm. that's that in the punisher max universe um the kingpin doesn't exist it's a rumor like ah, okay. the the mob creates this rumor, this myth of there being a kingpin at the top right. of all organized crime to try and draw Frank Castle out to, uh, to for a one like and once they draw him out they can get him. Hmm. And the mob boss that um, puts this idea forward proposes we need an actual guy to hmm. like pretend to be the kingpin. Um, and it's got to look real. And he puts forward his man, his like top guy, his killer, Wilson Fisk. And they're like, well, it's got to look real. So we all need to transfer loads of money into one account. We need to set this guy up as if he's legit. Like, we need to use all our connections to set him up as a real player. Like, there needs to be legit money running through. He needs to be on the board and needs to own companies. All of this to draw uh, the, the Frank Castle out. And then, when they have created the, the kingpin f- uh, from for real, from a myth, Wilson Fisk executes everyone involved in the plan and goes, that was my plan. Oh. I don't care about Frank Castle. I, I I got my boss to believe this awesome... This would be a good plan. You created me, and I now just live in luxury and have everything I want. The downside of that is, now he's real, Frank Castle is a-coming. Um, but it was a glorious little... Yeah, you're right, the kingpin wouldn't exist. That's not realistic at all. But what if they... <laughs> there's a reason for it to happen. Yeah, yeah it's that fun. Makes That's pretty fun. That's pretty fun. Arriving in the lab, Peter Parker comes face-to-face with Wilson Fisk and Spider-Carnage, who has explained the alternate dimensions to Fisk. They are now working together against Peter Parker to take over Peter Parker's company. Before Peter can tell Fisk about Spider-Carnage's true intentions, Peter's mouth is webbed up by the symbiote. After they leave, Gwen Stacy enters and frees Parker, using a tracker that her, that her Peter Parker invented to find him. It's Herpes a, Parker. Herpes Parker. Her, <laughs> it's getting a, I'm the alternate version of Peter Parker who has uh, some medical problems. I'm Herpes Parker. Herpes Parker. Herpes Parker. Oh, God. He webs. No, I can't think of anything to say about Herpes. Okay. Okay. Yeah, uh, it's at this point that Gwen has cottoned onto the fact that this isn't her Peter Parker, but is happy. <laughs> Shut up, Rob. Grow up. This isn't her Peter Parker, but is happy to help him. Herpes Parker. Putting aside herpes, it's nice to see Gwen alive and healthy. Not that she died of herpes. Uh, <laughs> no. This is, yeah, this is the 
the first and only time we see Gwen Stacy in this cartoon. Mm. Um, they use uh, Felicia Hardy as the other woman in Peter Parker's life when there's the when he's torn between two women. Yeah. Instead of it being MJ and Gwen Stacy, it's MJ and Felicia Hardy, another blonde. Mm. Um, it was be- be- basically they didn't the, the the creators kind of reason that it's impossible to use Gwen Stacy as she is a character destined to die and there can't be any deaths in in this show so mm. we can't we can't use it except for like this alternate reality right at the very end oh yeah yeah that makes sense at the party spider carnage under the guise of peter parker gives a speech to a full room but is interrupted when spider-man swings in and webs him up causing spider carnage to lose his temper and reveal his too f- true form guests get out of the way as the two spider-men fight Suddenly, Spider-Man gives Gwen the command, with Gwen using a sonic weapon on Spider-Carnage. However, Fisk snatches the weapon off her. Spider-Carnage then takes Gwen and swings out the window, screaming about destroying everyone. Fisk then realises that Spider-Carnage intentions weren't what he thought. (laughs) Jeez. Pursuing Spider-Carnage through the city, Spider-Man realises he needs to think like his opponent. Realising that Spider-Carnage is confused and needs a certain person to show him right from wrong, on a rooftop, Spider-Carnage has tied up Gwen Stacy and is already constructing another interdimensional device. However, Spider-Man is able to find him using the tracking device from Gwen. Sorry, for Gwen. Spider-Carnage threatens to throw Gwen off the roof and explains that instead of an interdimensional bomb, Spider-Man, sorry, Spider-Carnage has created a black hole that will destroy the planet. Trying to reason with Spider-Carnage, Spider-Man removes his mask and tells the symbiote, doing something this horrible isn't in you, because it isn't in me. This attempt to reach the real Peter Parker within Spider-Carnage proves difficult, which leads Spider-Man to unleash Plan B. Unleash Plan B! (laughs) From the shadows, a figure steps forward that shocks Spider-Carnage. It's Uncle Ben. Alive and well. Part of me saw this coming, but it's still a great twist. It's a great I, little shock twist. I'd seen it before, and mm. I didn't. I forgot. I didn't see it coming. Um, no, yeah, it's like, really good. It's like we're dealing with more alternate universes, and it's like, how do we reach the humanity or, or empathy? It's well, like, oh, bring out Uncle Ben. What is most important to me is mm. that Spider-Man's kind of solution is to is about humanity and understanding and caring. It's not yeah. about... How do I build a bigger weapon yep. to beat this guy up or something? Reach someone who's damaged and try to try yeah. to try to care. That's a great little little message there. So in all the Spider Universe, is there a universe where Uncle Ben is still alive? Yes, we I think we briefly looked at it in, in the Spider-Verse story that we deep dived on mm. Patreon. Um there is in the first Spider-Verse storyline an Uncle Ben who becomes Spider-Man. Oh, yes, um, yes. Uncle Ben receives his powers when he accompanies Peter Parker to the science demonstration and is bitten by the radioactive spider instead of his nephew, and he becomes Spider-Man. And uh, he retires, though. Uh, his um, his uh, arch enemy is not the Green Goblin. It's the Emerald Elf. Yay, <laughs> I remember that. Uh, and um, the Emerald Elf, Norman Osborn, discovers... Uh, Uncle Ben's secret identity and kills Aunt May and young Peter. Mm. Um, and he retires right after that. You can't deal with the grief of all. Um, 
which is another important... There's lots of important lessons throughout Spider-Verse, mm. which are that, in general, 616 Peter Parker is is the guy. He's the lead character. He's the hero. And some of these things are when they su- when a character suffers great tragedy, like Uncle Ben suffers the same kind of tragedy Peter Parker suffers, can't cope, can't go on, and retires. Whereas 616 Peter Parker carries on mm. to honour those people and to kind of push through the pain. Anyway, um, yeah, he um, he gets involved in the in the in the Spider Verse thing, and then at the very end, when it's all over, uh, he has to be coaxed into actually taking action because he's not done anything for like fifty years. He's not used his powers in fifty years. He doesn't want to fight, and mm. it takes the real Spider Man. The six one six Spider Man kind of saying, you know, literally the words of your your counterpart in my world motivate me every single day, and you've got to do, you've got to do what's right. And then at the end, he goes off with um, one of the Spider Girls who has a, a little baby brother called, oh. um, I think Mayday. Anyway, and he goes off and he says he's going to become. He's shaken by the fact that every Uncle Ben has died throughout all of the multiverse except for him. Mm. Um, and he, when he goes off, he's going to be the great uncle that no other Ben Parker has had the chance to become. Because they've all died. He's the only one left. Yeah. What a lovely man. Remembering his treasured childhood with Uncle Ben, Spider Carnage retreats back to reveal Peter Parker, who falls to his knees with overwhelming emotion. As Uncle Ben calms this Peter Parker down, he remembers the words of advice that Uncle Ben taught him. With great power comes great responsibility. It's Peter Parker's responsibility to expel the evil symbiote. As Parker squirms, the Carnage alien starts to peel off his body, but the pain is too much for him to stand. As he fights the symbiote, Parker shuts down the giant portal and then sucks himself into a smaller black uh, black hole which closes behind him. Hugging this dimension's Uncle Ben goodbye, Spider-Man returns to Madame Web, having saved the day. Madame Web returns the other Spider-Men to their home dimensions, but says there's one more place that Spider-Man needs to visit, taking the unpowered Spider-Man with him. So this whole thing, is this breaking the Uncle Ben rule or not, would you say? What's the Uncle Ben rule? You're not allowed to bring... Well, you're not allowed to bring him back from the dead. Is that You can bring any character to the bed, back from the dead apart from Uncle Ben and... Bucky. Bucky, that was it. <laughs> uh, no, because it's not Uncle... 616 Uncle Ben has not come back from the dead. Cool. Okay, so that's, that's fine. So it's, uh, as long as it's not 616, that's fine. Like parallel universes, yeah. These yeah, that's, things that's, happen. Yeah. How does Spider Carnage get defeated in the comics then? Not a black hole, is it? No. Um, a big, a real big problem is that the Carnage symbiote has become so powerful. In the past, you could blast it with sonic waves or heat, like microwave heats and things like that, and it would weaken the symbiote and it would leave the host and go off. It's become so powerful and resilient now mm. that the level of sonics or microwaves that you would use to hurt the the, the the, the creature would kill the human host. That's a big problem. Oh, yeah. So, how do you do that without hurting whoever it's on? Um, ben Riley manages to keep his, his shizzle together, um, but is on the run and flees to the, um, the, the vault, the prison, uh, breaks into Cletus Casti's cell, um, and demands Cletus teach him how to control the symbiote better. Mm. Um, Cassidy 
refuses, laughs and takes great joy that the alien is, uh, you know, destroying Ben Riley's mind and turning Spider-Man into a killer. Um, in the end, Ben Riley takes this gamble. Uh, John Jameson, the security chief, comes along and he's got ways of beating this, the symbiotes because it's their high-tech prison. But he's like, it's, it'll kill you. We've done it. It'll, it will kill a human. And Ben Riley is able to say... Um, I think I can. I'm stronger than the average person. Give me everything you've got. I think I can survive it. Mm. And that's kind of what the tipping point is in the end. It was the right choice for Ben Riley to voluntarily bond with the symbiote because he's literally he, him and Spider Man are the only people that could survive this kind of bombarding of microwaves and sonics to yeah. stay alive. And it just ends up um, going back into Cletus Cassidy again. So it's oh, not damn. like a yeah, yeah. the. He's an ever evergreen villain by the sounds of it, or just doesn't count. until the Sentry in that raft that, mm. that we talked about. The new the new Avengers are mm. born with a um, a supervillain breakout. The the Sentry we talked about him once before, mm. uh, kind of a Superman powered character in Marvel. Very odd. He grabs the Carnage symbiote, flies into the atmosphere above the Earth rips Carnage in half, <laughs> leaves him there and flies back. And it was seen to be um, a... No one likes Carnage. <laughs> like, that was the general attitude in comics. And Brian Michael Bendis was like, I'm just going to kill Carnage because I hate him. Well um, done, Mr. Bendis. Teleporting to another reality's New York City, Spider-Man is shocked to discover in this reality he's merely a character in fiction. And the depowered Spider-Man is an actor who plays him. As they climb a building, Spider-Man is told that there's someone he needs to meet. Entering an office, Spider-Man asks the man at the desk that he needs to see someone called Stan Lee. The chair turns around to reveal Stan Lee, who th thinks he has gone crazy coming face to face with one of his own creations. Taking Stan for a swing around the city, Spider-Man learns that as a character, his life and adventures are adored by millions of people around the world, a popularity he could never enjoy in his own reality. Stan asks Spider-Man, after saving all reality, where do you go from here? With Spider-Man replying, to find Mary Jane. My Mary Jane. With this existential realisation, Spider-Man finds peace within himself and his life, saying he's no longer twisted up with self-doubt and self-hatred. Stan Lee is confused, saying that this is not the same person he's been writing about all these years, which prompts Spider-Man to say, we've all got to grow up sometime. Madame Webb appears and tells Spider-Man it's time to go. As Madame Webb and Spider-Man travel to the next reality, she tells Spider-Man that it's time to find the real Mary Jane, as Spider-Man and indeed Peter Parker are entitled to some happiness. Ah, oh, this might be the best Stanley cameo. It's him literally playing himself in an almost self-indulgent way. Yeah. yeah. How do you feel about this as, like... If this this is the end of Spider-Man's story here, how do you feel about that as an ending? I kind of like the meta attitude. It's almost like She-Hulk. There's that meta mm. aspect of like coming, basically coming at the TV or the comic book and meeting your creator, and then like coming to terms with who you are. I kind of like it, but it's very odd. It's a ve I've never seen I've never seen another show like that end like this. It's very weird, and yeah, I, I don't, I can't, I can't say. I mean, once you've had an interdimensional battle on another world mm. and all that kind of stuff, I don't see this is 
Is this that much weirder than, than those other things? I'm, I'm not sure. Um, what it struck me watching this in preparation for this episode, watching it again, was this... Um, I loved the emotional conclusion that Spider-Man Peter Parker reaches. Yeah. There's an emotional conclusion to this journey. And it puts into context this idea that Spider-Man, if Spider-Man and his characterization is is more about um, existential crisis and self-doubt and and all that kind of stuff that goes on with him, guilt and shame and stuff. If it's more about that than it is about having powers and fighting bad guys, this is a wonderful conclusion. It really, um, it really and, is. And it broadcasts this idea that we all go through those times, but it's this... I, I felt a wave of this kind of comfort of almost like a big brother putting his hand on my shoulder. And I felt this kind of thing of you'll get to an age where you're just more comfortable with yourself. Yeah. And all that nonsense about of, of all that Spider-Man nonsense, all that Peter Parker nonsense is kind of, it, it, you just move past it. You move on. You don't get so caught up in worrying about other people and how the world sees you and this, that you just get, it's it's almost like a stage in life. I I've never thought of that before, or for Spider Man or anything like that. I just I I thought it was a really wonderful kind of emotional conclusion. He's like I'm uh, I'm leaving all that behind. I'm I kind of see my place in the universe now, mm. and all gonna grow up sometime. I that was something. That was really something I felt. It was. It, I, I, I when I saw the scene, I said it would be. It, it, it'd be nice just to also not just a bigger brother, but make, meet the person who created you like this and just chat. About why you're like this, and that you get some peace about yourself. Like, why have I got this trait? Why have I got this character trait? And then just yeah, come to live with but it. that's not what happened, is it? I Peter can't. Parker came to his closure before he met Stan Lee. Okay, it wasn't meeting his creator and I going. Kind of, uh, this is why you're like that. This is why you're like that. He came. He you know, he went through what he went through, mm. and he kind of was happy with himself. And then he met this guy. Yeah, I think I think that's okay. I, I, I don't I, think meeting your creator is going to do anything other than be weird. Well, my depending on your uh, outlook, it ends up like that scene in Blade Runner. Like this, there's there's this thing that happens in therapy where you can spend ages, and I have working with a therapist, and they mm. can they can go. This is why you're like that. Yeah, and that can be interesting to know. But I walk out of those sessions and I go cool i'm still like that <laughs> learning the root cause does not solve the problem so much of the time with your personality and your foibles and stuff you just not, go not without, oh okay not without learning new coping mechanisms and other things to do to improve it wherever that one bit may be but it's always a good first step if anyway it, sure but it's it's not it's just go that thing happened to you when you were young and that's why you're currently like this and you go uh, okay <laughs> Just see ya. <laughs> oh, great, cool. Thanks. I, I I went through therapy to deal with that kind of stuff recently, and it really helped. Actually, I'll have you know, <laughs> it partially helped me, but it's not learning the root cause does not m- mean you're fine with yourself. Not always on itself. Yeah, I get it. But I also had like a plan. I was, you know, like a solution. Anyway, let's not talk about us. Let's talk about Stan Lee. Has Stan Lee ever met Spider Man in the Marvel comics like this? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, of course he know. bloody has. He'd love to make comics about himself. God. 
in 2006, there was a series of, of comics called Stan Lee Meets. <laughs> and it was Stan Lee meeting <laughs> various heroes that he co-created. Um, but they're, they're, yeah. Stan Lee wrote them, and they're all, they're all kind of non-canonical. They're all out of continuity. Obviously. Um, Stan Lee meets Amazing Spider-Man is great. Uh, it's the best... It is the best Stan writing about himself. It starts off with him baking some cookies, and he talks out loud about how he's the most amazing cook you'll ever meet. Um, <laughs> but you'd ne- you'll never know it because my legendary humbleness means that I will never brag. Um, oh, Lord. Oh, that's and, beautiful. Beautiful. And Spidey, Spidey drops by to um, complain about his life and how much he wants to quit being a hero. And Stan's advice is great. He's like, you can't ever quit. You have to think. Think about all the people in the world that you that, 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 that rely on you. Think about all the, um, the, the things that you're connected to, selfish Spider-Man. Think of all the people you'll be letting down. The t-shirt manufacturers who make Spider-Man t-shirts. The action figure companies that make Spider-Man action figures. The movie studios. The comic book publishers. You'll put us all out of business. And then Spidey just sits bolt upright and says, At last I have seen the light. How lucky I am to have basked in the glow of your boundless wisdom. I cannot shirk from my duty to keep making you money. <laughs> That's right, kid. Go out there and get them. So it's just... You know. Do you know that makes me feel like? That makes me feel like, I, like you know, Garth Marenghi's Dark Place, where he's the main character. He's writing himself as this amazing person. That's exactly what's happening, yeah. yeah. Well, but also, but the, the layer below that is that Stan is acknowledging... The commercialism of it all. Yeah. He's acknowledging that he might be looked on as a windbag. He might be looked at as, oh, yeah. you know, raking the money in and all this kind of stuff. He's, yeah, it's um, Stan being Stan. Well, there we have it, folks. We have put to bed Spider Wars, the original Spider Verse from 1998. The inspiration for the Spider-Verse, or indeed the concept that was ripped off by Mm. the Spider-Verse. That's a question that you'll perhaps have to kind of mull over. I think I'm I'm falling along the lines of maybe an accidental rip-off, but they've covered it up. What about yourself? I'm going to go, yeah, accidental rip-off, but the way he worded it is like... I don't know, probably not. You know, that kind of sort of denial... Uh, Will, your favourite piece of trivia that you've learned from today's deep dive? Well, this is one of the rare episodes where the actual story of the thing we're examining is about as mad as the trivia. (laughs) So I have narrowed it down to two. One of them is the giant robot, which is just bloody marvellous. You know, Japanese Spider-Man gets a giant robot. The other one is Hobgoblin, barely being a Hobgoblin. It's always someone else, and he's chilling out in the yard. That is fantastic. The idea of franchising supervillains is brilliant. Yeah, you can buy. What would you like to be the next Electro? <laughs> For the low cost of a lot of money, and I'll kill you. I'll give you the suit and the the tech and the reputation. Um, and your final thoughts on this movie? Uh, well, sorry, not the movie. The cartoon, TV show. Sorry, I'm, it's okay. They know what we mean. I mean. We're not going to be around the bush. This is an absolutely mad way to end a cartoon series. It takes all the escalation that's been going on and turns it into something very sweet and existential in the end, if ever so slightly meta. It was really amazing to see different Spider-Men from different universes. I, I love the concept of alternate history and whatnot, so I just loved seeing the, Peter's part, the Peter Parkers that could have been. Uh, going back to, to this after seeing the Spider-Verse film was great. You can really see 
The foundation's being made to expand Spider-Man stories from a young man in a costume fighting crime to going all out cosmic madness to save the universe. Uh, when I watched this ending, part of me wanted the series to keep on going, but that's one of the most memorable endings to a cartoon I'll ever see. Fantastic. Thank you, Will. Um, reading this for this episode, if you've enjoyed some of the stuff we talked about, um, with, with Ben Riley stuff, you can check out Spider-Man The Complete Clone Saga in trade paperback. You can check out uh, The Complete Ben Riley Epic, um, which has got his Scarlet Spider stuff and his time as Spider-Man. Uh, there's a multiple trade paperback collections. Um, if you want to know more about the Beyonder, check out Marvel's Secret Wars uh, and Secret Wars 2 from the 1980s. Um, I'm a big fan of uh, Spider-Man Origin of the Hobgoblin, although that gets twisty-turny. Um, and then, of course, Spider-Verse by Dan Slott is the uh, the comic book that was maybe inspired by this, but certainly is the basis for the Spider-Verse um, movies. Please, please, please don't order your comics through something like Amazon. They don't pay a lot of money. They're quite bad for the comic book industry. You can find comic book companies, um, bricks and mortar shops near you by just using Google. You can walk into them. You can ask helpful people to find out something cool for you to buy. Or if you know what you're after, you can find great places online that will ship and deliver the comics to your door. Um, you can pay securely with PayPal and things like that. Yes, you might have to wait a little bit longer than Amazon next day delivery, but it's worth it to help out the comic book industry. Um, uh, thank you, as ever, Will, for taking us through that. Uh, a marvellous um, spider was. And then it's time to announce the next one. Yes. This is tickling your taste buds already. We've done it once before. The next Deep Dive episode, we're going to go outside the Marvel universe. We're going to another comic book universe. We're going to examine one of the original superheroes, one of the characters that inspired the Marvel Universe. With Michael Keaton back in the cowl, we're going to take a deep dive into the Batman movie from 1989 and take a deep dive into the history of the Caped Crusader. Um, don't miss that one in two weeks' time. And in the meanwhile, for awesome, awesome bonus content, head to patreon.com slash Marvel versus Marvel. Marvel vs. Marvel was researched, written, and performed by Rob Holden and Will Preston. The show is produced by Will Preston, and our theme song was composed and performed by Dan Walsh. Head to patreon.com slash marvel vs. marvel for awesome bonus content. Marvel vs. Marvel